Okay, we're back to podcast, and uh, we'll be podcasting tonight, as well as Wednesday night this week, and um, I hope you've had a good day in the Lord, and uh, it's time to start barking and uh, letting folks know about uh, what the Bible says, what the Word of God says. Um. Christianity was and has been in America. Uh, it's not about a profession of faith. It is about a disciple of Jesus Christ. And of course, we talked about that this morning. Galatians chapter 4. Galatians 4. We are looking to the Word of God, continuing in our Galatians study. And again, perhaps I don't, I don't think there's a there's definitely not a better uh, study or book of the Bible uh, to to study from to understand what we have in salvation, our full salvation in Jesus Christ. Galatians is is the book. Uh, it's the book to read, to study, to know, and it's important. It's important because of what we see and what we face uh, in Christianity to know what we are, know what we have. So I want to, uh, Paul of course has he's been really issuing a, a level of rebuke uh, to the Galatians. I've given you background before what is occurring, what's happening is up until this point is Paul has um established this church he has left because that's what true missionaries do they establish a church they uh, get teachers in the church and then they move on they, they move on to another area another church to establish well he's done so and folks have come in and they have tried to institute the law with the gospel of grace that Paul is teaching and preaching and so he has issued this rebuke letter to the church at Galatia as well as those that have been teaching this false doctrine. And so he comes to chapter 4. We're in chapter 4 now. There's six chapters in Galatians. So we're, we're and, and right after this is Ephesians. I am, I am looking at Ephesians maybe for a, a sermon series. Uh, at the very least, a teaching series. So, um, I'm sorry, Ephesians. Uh, In fact, I was uh, studying for this week's sermon, The the Devil's at the Door and the Dogs Won't Bark. And as I did, I I wrapped it up in Galatians and, or in Ephesians, sorry, and I really felt the the need to, to preach on and teach on Ephesians. Uh, but before so, let's let's get into Galatians. Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differeth nothing from a servant, though he be lord of all, but is under tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. 
This is speaking of a child, a child who is under tutors, governors, until he is grown up. Okay, so Paul is, is speaking of the maturity. Now again, I'll reiterate something that I taught, I think, in week one of, of this lesson. I remember, um, you know, for years in my early Christianity, early ministry, you would hear in the church, um, for people that didn't live as quote-unquote strict, I guess you could say, as others, um, those that, that did choose to live that way, very strict adherence to made-up man-made rules, um, they would say they're not as mature. They haven't matured. They haven't uh, grown in the Lord. When the reality is this, Paul is teaching the contrary. He is teaching the exact opposite. He is saying those that understand liberty, those that understand grace, those that understand the liberty in Christ are actually the mature ones. I mean, that's, that's how this is laid out. So he speaks until an appointed time of the Father. Verse 3, even so, we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the world. And you'll, you'll, you can even read of, um, in Colossians, it speaks of the rudiments of the world. Touch not, taste not. In, in other words, there are certain things you can eat and drink, and there's, there's the Sabbath, um, you know, just all of these, these man-made religious uh, creeds that, that people lay down. We, we have them. We have them. I know people. I know preachers all around that have them. And um, the Bible says in verse 3, Even so we were children. When we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of the time was come, so in our early days as Jews, in our early days as people, okay, he's, he's actually speaking to a Jewish church here, folks that got saved, they're Jews. Um, he's saying in, in the early days, okay, when we were children, we were under these, these rudiments. We were... Uh, under all of these laws. We were under these rules. But when the fullness of time was come, verse 4, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law. So in the time that God ordained, Jesus Christ was born in the time that God had ordained. He was not late. He was not premature. He did not come late. He did not come before he needed to come. It was foreordained. Now, there's a lot packed into that. When you think about the Roman government at the time, you think about all that was going on at the time, and God is saying, come right on time. And that reminds me of Esther for such a time as this. That reminds me of us and the fact that, and I've thought this a lot of times, I've thought this a lot of times. That should I have come along at a different time? Would the message be better received? 
more received. And, and the reality is this. We came along, I came along, at the time that God ordained. And the message that, that we, we promote and preach and teach from the Word of God is what we need in this time. And there's not many teaching it and preaching it and, and giving it. But the fact of the matter is that's what this time needs. And I've come to accept that. I, I've come to accept that God didn't want me here in the 60s or 70s or even the 80s as, as a ministry. And I was alive in the 70s and 80s, but he didn't want me in the ministry in those times. He, he formed me, shaped me for this time, for this time. And, and I, I believe that strongly. And so God sent Jesus just on time, in the time in he, that he had ordained. And in verse 5 it says, To redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. So those that were under the law. Who was under the law? The Jew was under the law. But no longer are you under the law. You're now a son. Okay? Verse 6. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his Son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now therein is the crux and the heart of the, of the difference. Okay? Is now with this salvation, not this living under the law, not this living for the law, in obedience to the law, now we have salvation and we have the Spirit of His Son living on the inside of us. No law keeper, no law abider could ever say that. And because we are children, we can say now, Abba, Father. Now, the term Abba here is very interesting. It's the Aramic word for Father. And... Uh, Aramaic is a, is a familiar language of the people uh, that was spoken. It was spoken of Christ, um, but it's one who's been born one who's been born again can come to his heavenly Father as freely and familiarly as a child. God is our heavenly Father, our perfect loving Daddy. So here's the thing: throughout the Old Testament, God God would be called Father at different times. We never was necessarily known as a father. Uh, he was he was a god. He was standoffish. But we think of that in Old Testament terms of being quote unquote God the Father. But the reality is they didn't know him as father. They didn't look at him in that way. And so Paul is saying not only is he your father, he's your Abba Father. Now Abba gives a different connotation. It actually gives the idea of the word Papa, or what we would call Daddy, or in Kannapolis, Daddy. And there, that's, that's an even sweeter, gentler term of endearment than Father. And so, no longer is God our schoolmaster. No longer is He afar off. No longer is God... And I wish we could get this because I'm an Old Testament preacher, man. I, I mean, I, I, I'm a New Testament salvation and I preach through the Old New Testament, but I love preaching the Old Testament just for the stories and the character build and the lessons that we learn. 
But here's the thing about this. It's important that we don't take an Old Testament view of God into our salvation. And a lot of people have. A lot of people have. Many, many people have. And the reality is, in the New Testament, under the New Covenant, in the New Salvation, not by the old and the, the, the dead way, but the new and the living way, He is our Father. Not only is our Father, He's our Daddy or our Papa. That is a significant change in relationship with what He has with people in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it was cold, it was uh, apart, it was standoffish. But in the New Testament, He's our Daddy. He's our Papa. Man, that's good. Verse 6, or verse 7. Wherefore art thou no more a servant, but a son? That would bring on a whole new relationship. You remember when Jesus was teaching on the prodigal son? And he, he spoke of the fact that um, when the boy come back, he, he wanted to be a servant. He said, I mean, uh, how servants of my father have bread enough to spare, and I perish with hunger. And Jesus said, that, look, he's not a servant. A servant wouldn't have shoes. A servant wouldn't have a tedious job. A servant's life wouldn't be uh, that wonderful. He's not a servant anymore. He's still a son. He's still a son. Verse number, uh, verse number eight. Howbeit then, when you knew not God, you did service unto them which by nature are no gods. But now, after that ye have known God, or rather are known of God, how turn ye again to the weak and beggarly elements whereunto ye desire again to be in bondage? He said, since you know God, why are you turning back to the law to reconcile you to God? You are now into a new covenant, a new relationship with God. You observe days and months and times and years. So they were trying to institute the holy days and the laws, the, the holy law days back into Israel. He, he said, this is a problem. I'm going to talk about the Sabbath. I, 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 I see people, I, I'm fine. Again, I, I don't do a lot on Sunday. I, I, I preach and I pray. And then I spend time with the family later in the day. I, I, I really believe... I, I'm telling you, I have I spent my whole life, early life, um, just just chasing quote unquote church dreams and evangelism, and and sometimes to to the detriment of just family time, just being present with the family. And so, once church is over, we'll eat. I'll kind of unwind, and, and I'll eat. And then, then later in that day, you know, we, I get together with the family. We, we, we'll cook out, we'll grill, uh, have a Sunday dinner. Because um, God is, you can't, that's, that's what God has given you and, and part of the blessings in your life. And what I'm saying is, I've, it's okay to do that. I remember years ago, people wouldn't pump gas Every store, and that's fine. If you want to close, close on Sunday, fine. It's the it's the Lord's day. I don't I don't typically I don't roof on Sunday. I might do an order, put an order in, do some numbers. But that's not a sin. 
And I, I know people that are so regimented, but they got the worst attitudes, so regimented that they, they wouldn't they wouldn't add a number on Sunday. Well, you know what? That Bible right there says we're not to observe holy days anymore. Now, I know that's contrary, and that doesn't mean you know you, you just just run amok and don't go to church and don't start dating. That that's not what I'm saying. But what I am saying is when you try to put that parameter, that boundary on a day, any day, then folks, you're going back and trying to bring in an element of law into Christianity. And that's what Paul's teaching against. Now, the early church met upon the first day of the week. I got news for you. That was not the Sabbath. And there, that's the reason why they were trying to differentiate the difference in the day that they met on the Lord's Day, the first day of the week, and the Sabbath. The Sabbath was Saturday, folks. First day of the week, Sunday. Amen. All right. Verse number 11. I am afraid of you. Paul is actually afraid of anybody that's going to try to bring law back into Christianity. That's the one thing. Paul wasn't afraid of anybody. He wasn't afraid of Agrippa. He wasn't afraid of Herod. He wasn't afraid of... He wasn't afraid of nobody. He was afraid of preachers, teachers, Christians that were trying to bring the law into Christianity. And if any of you are like me and you've come out of that, you've been, you've seen that, you've been a part of that, and you can smell it a hundred miles away and you're afraid of it and you'll do everything you can to fight it. The one thing Paul was afraid of were people that were trying to bring the law back into Christianity. Look, he says here, verse number 11, I am afraid of you lest I have bestowed upon you labor in vain. He says, I feel like the, the labor, the teaching, the preaching I've done is in vain. Brethren, I beseech you, be as I am, for I am as ye are. You're not injured. You've not injured me at all. You know how through uh, infirmity of the flesh I preached the gospel unto you at the first. My temptation, which was in my flesh, he despised not nor rejected. That's probably his thorn in the flesh. Paul was not well. Paul, Paul had a lot of physical issues but received me as an angel of God, even as Jesus Christ. So he had some physical ailments and deformities, maybe, um, and they, they, still, they still accepted him. Where is then the blessedness that you spake of? For I bear you record that if it had been possible, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. That is the verse why I believe that Paul's thorn was probably blindness. It's probably blindness because right here he's speaking of his physical ailment. He's speaking of the fact that they accepted him even in light of um, his physical ailment. But and he said he goes on to say that at one time you loved me so much that if it would have been possible, you would have plucked out your eyes and you would have given them to me. You see that? <clears throat> so. Most likely Paul's thorn in the flesh that is unspoken of, or we know at the very least his, his, 
greatest ailment of his flesh is his, his physical blindness almost. Uh, Paul, that's why he had Luke with him, who was a physician, but who's also a very good penman. And the Holy Ghost would dictate to, uh, to would move upon Paul. Paul would uh, tell Luke what to write. And so Paul, uh, Luke was essentially his, his penman. And, uh, of course, the Spirit of God also inspired Luke to pen uh, the book of Acts as well as the Gospel of Luke. So, uh, but anyway, at any rate, that's, that's one subject on this verse. But the other is, at one point, they loved him so much that they would have plucked out their eyes and given them to Paul. And I've seen that. I've seen church, I've seen Christians love me so much that they would have done that. But then then it's not long you get a false teacher you get a manipulator you get you get trouble come and they don't feel like they used to and that's what Paul's dealing with here he said at one time you'd have plucked out your eyes and you'd have given them to me but you sure don't feel like that now here's what he says here you know through through my infirmity the flesh that I preach the gospel Um, well I'm sorry verse number um Verse number 16. Am I therefore become your enemy because I tell you the truth? So what happened is they got upset with what Paul was preaching, and he was preaching grace. And now they look at him as an enemy, and he's saying, Am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And I I say that to anybody that would ever get upset of anything that I preached. You did love me, but now I'm your enemy because I'm telling you the truth what Paul's saying. They zealously affect you, but not well. Yea, they would exclude you that you might affect them. But it is good to be zealously affected always in a good thing. So these these people were in an uproar. They were manipulated. They were zealously affected. And he said it's okay if it's in something good, but if it's contrary to good, contrary to the Word of God, it's not very good. And not only when I am present with you, my little children of whom I travail in birth again until Christ be formed in you. I desire to be present with you now and to change my and to change my voice for I stand in doubt of you. He's got a, he's, he's wondering about their salvation. Tell me that you desire to be under the law. Do you not hear the law? He said don't, don't tell me you want to be back under the law. For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondman bondman bondmaid, the other by a free woman. But he who was of the bondwoman was born after the flesh, but he of the free woman was by promise. Which things are an allegory? For these are the two covenants, the one from Mount Sinai, Sinai, which um, gendereth to bondage, which is Agar. And of course, that's Hagar in Genesis. For this Agar is Mount Sinai in Arabia, and answer to Jerusalem, which now he is and is in bondage with her children. But Jerusalem which above is free, which is the mother of us all. For it is written, Rejoice thou barren, that thou bearest not, break forth and cry, that thou travailest not. For the desolate hath many more children than she which hath an husband. Now we, brethren, as Isaac was, are the children of promise. But as then that he was born after the flesh persecuted him that was born after the Spirit, even so it is now. Nevertheless, what saith the Scripture? You see, Paul always goes back to what saith the Word of God. What 
saith the scripture? What does the Bible say? You want a true answer? What does the word of God teach? That's what I always say. It's not how you feel. It's not what you think. It's not what your experience is. It's not what, what, what your idea is. It is what saith the scripture. What saith the scripture? What does the Bible say? I know some of you get tired of me responding that way when you come to me come to me about something but the fact of the matter is what saith the word of God what saith the scripture therein lies the answer okay what saith the scripture cast out the bondwoman and her son for the son of the bondwoman shall not be heir the son of the free woman what did I what did Abraham have to do with Ishmael he had to make no provision for him except that bottle of water kicked him and Hagar out because he was not the, the child of promise, the representative of grace. And that's what we are to do with the law, with the rudiments of the law, with anybody that would try to bring us back under the law. Kick them out because they are not ministers of grace. All right. I hope you've enjoyed Galatians 4. <clears throat> We've got two more chapters in Galatians. We'll be in Galatians 5 on, on Wednesday night. Good night. God bless. I love each of you.